Um, okay, so now we can do the intro. I wasn't recording before. Do you want me to start singing DuckTales again, or are we straight? Oh, we're good there, man. We're good. I, I don't <laughs> think we have the uh, the rights to that IP. I mean, we technically don't have the rights to... Never mind. Let's not talk about that. CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, March the 22nd. Unfortunately, we are not going to be previewing games for you this here evening. Uh, Cavaliers obviously um, went down to Furman 68-67 last week. There was no chance at the Sweet 16, um, unless you want to technically say that they had one because they were in the tournament. Um Season is over, and because the season is over, that means it's time for the postmortem, which, you know, is like, what's the opposite of preseason awesomeness disease? It's like postmortem blues or something. Um, it, we, we, it's, it's, it's basically impossible not to talk about the season that was sort of where things are. Um, Ferber's written like a million words in the, <laughs> like the last three days, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of those kinds of um, things here this evening. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, in Fishersville, board moderator du jour himself, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's going very well, Brad. Thanks for asking. I uh, I think off season podcast topics are probably the opposite of preseason awesomeness disease. Um, <laughs> I've been jotting down a few over the last. But 96 hours, whatever it's been. But yeah, who days on the board at who days on Twitter. And in Charlottesville, uh, editor in chief Justin Ferber, the aforementioned um, uh, keyboard, um, I don't know, maestro himself is also on the show. How's it going, my friend? Not bad. Um, you know, like, at, what was it, three, four hours after the game ended, you texted me and were like, so what do we do now? <laughs> like for content. <laughs> tomorrow and i was like maybe we just take a day off just let it, just got, let it sit you know we got just like 200 it. days to fill here um but yeah we're we're right back at it now i guess and just talking about different stuff at justin underscore for on twitter Cavs corner also on twitter Cavs underscore corner great place for sigh sniffle tear in-game updates content items and the occasional uh witty banter all right so listen wasn't wasn't the wasn't the kind of end of game that any of us expected um, 12 seconds to go. Kid goes to the line, makes two free throws for Furman. Um, Virginia's up to, um, if you had, if you had asked me in that moment, if Virginia's going to win the game, I would have told you unequivocally. Yes, I was extremely confident. And in the pantheon of things I expected to unfold in the next few seconds, uh, Kihei Clark getting trapped in the corner, throwing the ball into the literal middle of the floor. Um, Furman hitting a three going ahead and, and winning the game um, was on the list, man. And 
it's a tough beat. It's a tough way for Kie's career to end. Certainly, we have talked a lot on this podcast through the years about sort of, you know, the the way that the the pieces fit together, and we've talked about, you know, can you play Kihei and, and Reese Beekman together a lot? You know, when when it seemed that last year was going to be his swan song, you know, we talked about moving forward and what that sort of quote unquote life after Kihei was going to be, and now you know it's here. Um, I, and I I know that we have a lot of other things to discuss. I just I just want to really briefly touch on the end of the game because it. I mean, I, it's been a little while, you know, it's been several days, but it still, it still bugs me. Not in the sense of like, like I didn't think Virginia had, you know, this was not a Virginia team that I thought was going to really push for the national championship. I was not thinking this was like a final four type of team, but that's a game that the Cavaliers have routinely won, including this season. And for them to make the mistakes that they made in such rapid succession there, um, you know, for, you know, to have a timeout and, 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 and not take it to not have anybody else take it. Uh, you know, I understand that Kihei is the most experienced dude on the floor. And if anybody is fully, you know, capable of deciding when he does or doesn't need a timeout it's him, but man, uh, that's just a brutal way for his career to go, uh, or in for his career to end. And certainly for Virginia fans, just a, a really brutal way to go into the weekend, um, to, to, for this tournament, Certainly, the 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 loss by Purdue softens the blow a bit, Dave, um, because it's another number one. Virginia no longer all alone on that um, that that limb. Has the end of Thursday's game? I don't want to say you know has it gotten easier to process for you, but have you been able to process it? Are you have you have you switched into off season mode, um, or is that mainly just you're just scared of transfers at this point? <laughs> Um, I don't know where I am. It just depends on the moment. The, uh, you know, it, that game, you know, I was at work and it was stupid busy and wasn't able to focus on the game a lot during the, you know, in the lead up to the exciting ending. Um, you know, at one point, I think, you know, if I remember correctly, Virginia tra- uh, led by 12 at like the first, each of the first two TV timeouts. So at that point, like not being able to focus on it, kind of check, sticking my head around the corner every now and then to see the score. I was almost at a point where I wanted to stop watching so I could watch it when I got home that night. Um, but it just so happened, like at the end, things slowed down enough for me to catch it. And I was like, whoa. So, and then immediately got busy within 30 seconds of, the pass. Um, so yeah, it was, I still don't know what to do. I've been thinking like, you know, Kihei during his long career, um, you know, he's had, you know, many times he's dribbled into the paint and not had an outlet and gotten a shot swatted or made a bad turnover, but like nothing like that. Right. Like never a meltdown. And it's like, we're just a complete like brain lock. Um, and even that, like, even when he did it, you know, it was just so hard to fathom. Like, I think you're probably like my jaw was agape. I'm like, well, you know, what's going on here? Um, and then, yeah, I think we talk about his mistake a lot, but Furman's just zero, zero hesitation, ran their little play, got, the, got an open look and buried it. That was impressive too. But just, I, I do feel bad for Kihei. Like he's going to get too much blame for, for that one play for, his, you know, it's going to be hard not to remember it when you look back on his career, uh, at least for the you know short term. But it wasn't all on him. You know, Virginia had a chance to put that game away and didn't multiple times. Um, kind of the story of the season, unfortunately. 
Ferber, I'll give you the same opportunity to sort of chime in here and talk to me a little bit about sort of um, have you been able to process the way it all went and um, how you feeling about it uh, several days later? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those ones where normally, you know, when they show a million replays of something bad, it's like, all right, I've seen this enough. Um, in this one, I was like, I got to keep watching this because, like, I got to figure out what happened here. <laughs> like, And then his explanation afterwards kind of made sense because the referee was like, baseline opposite so like i could see how he's like oh, i couldn't find him but you know i think the same thing i thought the moment is true watching it over and over again he had like eight different things he could have done and he chose the worst one like um he could have tried to dribble out of that and he would have been better off <laughs> I, I mean I, i've had somebody told me recently he would have been better off scoring on his own basket um than what he did like because at least then it's like you have the ball in a tie <laughs> um yeah. but but um i mean ultimately these things happen really fast like you know it's not like he had a ton of time to think about what he was going to do there um and you know it shows that experience isn't everything i guess <laughs> you know he's got more than anybody and you know you can still make a mistake like that and i'm sure it's you know probably kept him up at night um, but you know, he's had a long career. It's just one play, obviously a big one, but you know, he had some good ones too. Um, I also think like one of the things that, and again, I'm not trying to make excuses for the loss because you know, it's UVA, it's Furman, but I think Furman deserves a lot of credit for going out and taking it. Like the, you know, Dave, you mentioned they were down 12 a few times and they didn't get back in it. Cause UVA just stunk. You got back in it cause they were making shots. Like they made a bunch of threes when they needed them. I think they made like 10 in the game. Um, and as soon as that guy got the look on the three, I was like, he's making this. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, you tip your cap, they, they played better than UVA on the day. I, you know, I'm not the only one that's been saying it, but I've definitely been saying it. Like UVA is not that much better than Furman or any of these other teams. Like they've been kind of getting by with, by the skin of their teeth all season long. Um, and it's only a matter of time. Like, again, you know, we can say like, oh, they figured out how to win games. But we talked about it on this show after they beat Notre or after they beat Notre Dame. Like, they didn't find a way to win that game. They got lucky that they didn't lose that game. And they've had a few of those. And they haven't really beaten anybody that's really good recently. Um, you know, when the last tournament team they beat from the tournament was what, NC State? Like, that was quite a while ago. Um, or it might have been, I guess it was Duke because that was a couple days later. Um but, you know, that was February 10th or something like that. So, I mean, I, I don't think they're, like, worse than Furman. Um, but I think, you know, you have an injury to a starter. Um, you're playing in a do-or-die neutral court game. You know, you miss a few free throws when you need them. And I think that's the Kihei plays, you know, what's going to get remembered. But McNeely missing the front end of a one-and-one. Kihei missing the front end of two. Um I think, you know, that was just as big. And that's something that's been a problem, you know, for the second half of the season. So, um, you know, I, I didn't think – I didn't pick them to lose the game. I'm certainly not surprised that they lost the game. Um, you kind of nailed it, Brad. I think the ceiling was probably one more win after that. You never know, I mean, what's going to happen against Alabama, but I don't think they would have won that game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it kind of – then you start to process the bigger picture thoughts on it, but – Ultimately, it wasn't that hard for me to process. I mean, it was a mind-blowing play to end it, but like the result didn't really surprise me very much. I think the thing that was surprising, I mean, like if you told me before, I mean, I was confident that they were going to win in part because I thought <clears throat> I thought that they would have that they would have more success um offensively than than they had. And I really thought Virginia's uh, you know, ability to sort of keep teams from playing in a track meet 
um, would really shine through. I just, I just didn't know. I, I honestly, I, I think going into it, my thought process was, I just didn't think Furman could, if Virginia did, you know, got anywhere near, it's like sort of normal. I just didn't think that that was a consistency that Furman could withstand. I, I think when, when we've seen Virginia at its best, they sort of just lean on you, lean on you, lean on you until you break, right? Now, this team has not shown, you know, did not show us that for most of the season, right? They didn't have complete games where, you know, they sort of really put the onus on the opponent to either be more efficient or to be more mentally um, strong, right? Realistically, they just opened the door. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't disagree with your point that Furman made the shots, but at the same time, Virginia had a double-digit second-half lead uh, including, you know, they made some, you know, they had some good rebounds and a couple steals there late. I mean, that, that was a game they should have won. So was I, you know, would I have been surprised in the beginning, if it, from the beginning of the game, if Furman won? Probably not surprised, even though I expected UVA to win. When they're up 12 in the second half, yeah. When they're up, you know, in that situation of And then they were up ago, like four yeah. with like 30 seconds to go. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, that. you know, that's, you know, like I said, that's a game we've seen Virginia hang on to um that's mm -hmm. i mean ultimately that's what that gave them the record they had right it's because against inferior talent this year they were able to um to, to to basically make those plays late and and hang on for wins and this was just a game where it went rapidly wrong um in just historical fashion now that's a good sort of segue to our next conversation which is you know, Ferber just said a second ago, you know, the idea that like, yeah, after the game, you sort your mind just, you know, immediately can't help but sort of transition to what's ahead. And like I, like I mentioned before, I mean, listen, if you have not read the various breakdowns that Ferber's uh, put put out on the site, I mean, you look, take your lunch break, um, carve out some time because I think and and look, I'm I'm joking sort of about the the link, but I I think that the the attention to detail that that you displayed in those pieces, Ferber, I think it does a really good job of of really making the full case, right? Because there's a nuance to this, and like I think what you're going to hear is the three of us talk about this now is 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 that we're not all saying that like the thing is doomed or ruined or whatever. There's just a question of who do you want to be, right? Do you want to be a team that you know routinely challenges for ACC regular season titles? Um, you know, loses games here and there, but, you know, gets wins that need to be, get games, get wins games that need to be won, uh, and then surprises you in the tournament? Or do you want to be back to a team as they were in 18 and 19, where you're talking about one of the five best teams in the country with a bona fide chance to win a national championship? Because if you want the latter, you kind of can't be okay with the former. And I think part of the conversation the three of us are getting ready to have is kind of based around the idea of like it, it, nobody's saying that like there that there's a problem per se but there are ways to do it differently to get back to where they were and if you and if that's the goal if if getting back to where they were um is where you want to be well then you got to kind of appreciate how you got to where you are and that I think is the is the the crux of the uh the state of the program pieces it it really does a nice job of sort of laying out kind of where they went and where they came from in terms of being able to frame sort of where they need to go. And I, and I think talent disparity is the biggest problem. Ferber said something a few minutes ago and said, you know, Virginia, you know, for, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote. He was talking about sort of the talent matchup and the fact that Virginia had like 
marginally comparable talent. What I forget what you said, Ferber, but the fact that 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 Virginia was not just heads and shoulders, of, you know, more talented is exactly the problem, right? And this is no disrespect. We, we're not we're not here to like throw shade at the kids who actually played on this team. We're not saying that. We're just if you look at where they were, fourteen into nineteen, and you compare where they've been since then, it, there it, there's no question that the talent disparity is not only evident but it's problematic if that's what you if what you want to do is to win a national championship. So, Dave, let me start with you. I feel like we have talked a lot sort of about the way pieces fit together and, you know, they've certainly, you know, tried different styles of, you know, not maybe not styles. They've tried different sort of offensive approaches. Obviously, the pack line has been consistent, but they have not had anything remotely close since 19 to teams that they had leading into and including 19. And we talked, like I said, we talked a lot about sort of the talent piece of this, um, you know, the some of the some of the the changes that have sort of I don't want to say popped up, I guess, in college basketball, right, with the transfer portal and what that has has done for things. And I'm just curious to get your point of view on: is it just raw talent? Is there more in terms of how that talent is used? How would you sort of uh, how would you sort of frame what you believe? needs to happen in order for UVA to get back to that place where they were bef- between, you know, 14 and 19. I mean, it's Ferber, right. His stuff was great. Like don't have a whole lot to add, you know, cause he was right about a lot, but the thing that I keep going back to, cause look, it's no doubt that 2019 team was loaded, especially if you want to compare him to this year's squad, but that same team without Deandre Hunter and Kihei Clark lost to UMBC. Right. The same goods. They should have been better than UMBC even without DeAndre Hunter. Now I know it was happened the week before the week of the tournament and all that stuff. But it's not like even then Virginia had so much talent they could just roll the ball out and beat anyone. And I mean, I think you've got to keep it in that's just the way basketball is now. I mean, we saw Purdue lose, you know, a lot of a lot of good teams with better recruiting classes in Virginia have gone down in this tournament to lesser, lesser teams. Um and if you just look at the recruiting rankings, you know, Virginia's done, you know, had the struggles after that 16 class, which isn't surprising just because of the way Tony has run his roster, right? Like he's going to play guys with experience or guys without experience. So if you're a highly rated recruit and you look and call guys got three years left, you know, not knowing he's going to leave early, um, it's hard to get you to sign at Virginia. We, we've discussed this over the years. Um and the way Virginia recruits, right? They're usually most of their guys they get many months before the end of the year. They're they're not a late recruit. You know, they're not a team who kind of focuses on those late decision recruits. That's usually the Dukes and likes of the world. Um, now the portals kind of where Virginia uses that time of year. So, look, I think the model's fine. You know, you just had some misses, and when you're a team like Virginia, who's not going to stack your roster with six or seven five stars one or two misses can be the difference between 2019 and 2023. Um, And I mean, if you you think about it, Virginia is a team that likes limited possessions, right? You have to be efficient. The same thing is true of their recruiting, right? Yeah. If you miss a a couple of times, you're basically pulling the rest of the field towards you. Yeah. When Virginia's, when Virginia has an elite team, whether it's, you know, you want to talk 14, 16, 19, whatever, 18 year prior to UMBC, they're they are able to be 
they were able to attack you offensively and defensively in multiple ways. Um, this year's team, you know, they tried both, um, you know, going big didn't always work. Going small didn't always work. Um, and, you know, I think if you just want to point to one piece, one thing, Virginia, we've said it many times over the 10 years of this podcast, um, 11 years of this podcast, Virginia basketball needs a guy on the floor who can guard two to five. Um, Brian Dunn might be that guy, but he wasn't quite there yet this year. And when Virginia has that guy, I think, you know, if you add offensive capability with that, like you did in DeAndre Hunter or what junior year, Akil Mitchell, um, big things can happen. But, you know, I think it's just, it's a fine line. I don't think it's a unique issue for just UVA. You know, you, you can't miss in today's environment where you can't have 12 guys on the, you can't load a, a roster with 12 super studs because they're, they can go play somewhere else. And that's, that's just the reality of basketball. We just, I think Virginia just had, you know, if everyone played up to their potential this year, you know, they, they could have made a, you know, at least won a couple of games this past weekend. I think, I, I don't think they were national title contender, but the same way with that 19 team, you know, if one of those pieces hadn't panned out, that team doesn't cut the nets. I think your point about, um, you know, Hunter and, and, and being hurt and, you know, the loss to UBC and that, 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 that still happened regardless, you know, that essentially that even without him, that Virginia should have been able to, to weather that storm. I think that's an interesting sort of take because realistically, like a lot of people use that as like the crutch. Well, they didn't have, you know, I mean, Charles Barkley was talking about it the other day. He called, he called DeAndre Hunter the best player in the country that year, which I mean, Hey, you know, appreciate it. Um, but I, I keep going back to, and for a while, I'll let you chime in on this one too. Like it, I, I don't, again, I don't want to disparage anybody, but I think it's fair to look at what Virginia's done in recruiting. Right. And I think it's fair to look at it and say, you know, are these kids comparable to what Virginia got in 2016? Now I understand that when you, when you have a program built the way Virginia's program was built, that in the classes subsequent to that, there's there's a there's a log jam, right? And you're simply not going to be able to get kids who have options, right? To come just like sit behind dudes, right? So in essence, like because that class was so big, and Virginia historically, you know, for all for all intents and purposes, has used red shirting as a way to sort of space some of these things out. But because that class was big, and because they had so many sort of talented kids on the roster, finding other talented kids to bring in on the roster was hard. I, I, I think that if we have this conversation without at least acknowledging that, it's not fair to the bigger picture. That being said, when you look at some of those subsequent recruiting classes, I mean, they leave a lot on the table in terms of not... If, if you, and you look back at the guys who Virginia signed, well, how many of them developed, Right. Kihei is the only guy, if you think about it, that Virginia signed at a high school that really kind of got to a place, you know, in those, you know, post 2016 recruiting classes, right? Until we get to what, McNeely? And, the only and two Dunn? players that UVA has signed since the title team that have panned out, period, full stop, except for the transfers, because it's just too early to say, or the freshman, I should say, um, Kihei Clark. Reese Beekman, end of list. Okay, so Beekman is the, and I apologize there because that's a good catch. Because that's my it point, though. 
I but mean, my point is, is that like of it. the Flyers, like Beekman <laughs> was a clear, bona fide, like blue chip sort of player. Like everybody knew he was going to be good, right? And even some of the guys who should have been good, like, and I, I don't want to beat this drum too much, but like, I mean, the year that Casey Morcel was committed and eventually signed with UVA, I can't tell you how many different pieces we ran on the website where somebody from the from the mothership wrote about how, you know, guys who fit and they, he was always the choice. Yeah. Like, there's no reason that kid could should not have worked out, right? Jabir Abdul Rahim ultimately, you know, that that was a massive, you know, sort of missed opportunity. Right now, I I'm not saying that like he should have been more da 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 da. I'm just saying like he's a very talented player, um, and it just did not go right. And ultimately, on some level, like that's what the staff has to do, right? And this kind of goes back to, and, and forever I'm setting you up for the question here. It goes back to a conversation we've had, and I don't necessarily know if we want to get into like should they redshirt, right? I don't know. I don't know when the right time is to have that conversation. I think that the time to have it is approaching if it's not already here, but it certainly feels like to me, Virginia recruits from the standpoint of finding the best fit. Now, when that fit happens, right? If the kid needs X work and Y work in order to get there, they're fine with that, right? But they're looking for the best fit at various positions, depending on need. Okay. Ferber, I'm of the mindset that, one of the things that probably should get tweaked, some knob that can get turned, is Virginia's reliance on finding kids who can be that thing but need the time to get there. And I'm not saying that development is is not going to be the focal point of the program. I, I know development is going to still be a central you know, tenant of what they do. But you got to stop bringing in kids that can't help you as freshmen because if they come in and they can't help you as freshmen, they'll go help somebody else as a sophomore, Right. Or a redshirt freshman, you know, and I and I'm not saying that every redshirting decision is bad. I'm not saying it's not a. I'm not. I'm not making that sort of blanket statement. I'm just of the mindset that if you're finding a kid that you don't think can help you right away, there's a pretty good chance that that kid's probably not good enough to help you. If if what your goal is is to be a national championship contender, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, they've had some success with redshirting in the past. I mean, DeAndre Hunter is obviously the number one test case for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, my whole thing is, you know, and just in reviewing the piece, I 100% agree with what you said, Dave. Like, you know, I, I think it's as simple as, like, they haven't hit on the guys. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is they've missed on some guys that they weren't the only people that liked them. <laughs> like, you know, Casey Morsell was ranked 49th in the rivals rankings. He had other offers. He chose UVA. Nobody thought he was going to be bad and he's not terrible. Obviously he had a decent year at NC state, but like he ended up being what we thought he would be. Um, same thing with Jabri, you know, like he went to Georgia and a team that really needs help and he doesn't even start. So like, it's not like it's exactly working out for him either. Um, elsewhere. Um, I would say like, you know, as far as evaluating players, the one thing that kind of stood out to me when reviewing the players that have had success, and, and again, I'm not trying to like, there's no light bulb moment here. This is obvious stuff, but it's really crystallizes when you look at the players. The guys who succeed are a lot of times guys with NBA or pro, like pro level traits, right? Tony will get the most out of you. He will develop you if he has some time and if you have the traits, Look at the guys that you talk about, like the 2014 to 2019 run. And Dave said the guy that can guard two through five. 
every year in that stretch they had that pretty much right you had Akil, you had justin anderson like both of those guys Akil didn't end up being a pro but like or the nba but he has like elite athleticism justin anderson is like a freak athlete um and then after that you know you had some more guys like you look malcolm brogdon pro anthony gill pro still today um you know you go down the list those guys like those are the ones that hit right transfers or people from recruiting and like you know go down the line go to the 2019 team deandre hunter elite traits great athlete can shoot like three and d player that's what the nba loves kyle guy and ty jerome they're not the most athletic guys in the world but they can shoot and they can do some other things on the offensive end and then you go down past them and you look at like some of the players that uva has had um and you know, I mean, we cover the team. I'm just gonna say the names, right? Like Kihei Clark, not not an NBA profile. He he's been a, a solid player, right? Um, but those are the guys that you need to be complementary pieces. And I think that's the thing I've learned is like you can use the transfer portal, um, and and you know those guys are gonna be really key to what UVA does. And UVA is gonna get the most out of a lot of those guys. See Trey Murphy again, another guy with pro traits. Um, you know, at Sam Hauser, even not athletic, really, but he can shoot the hell out of the ball. Um, and he's in the NBA. Um, those are the guys I would like to see them sort of like hitch their wagon to. And I know that's again, that's not breaking the, you know, that's not like breaking news to anybody. But I think sometimes the guys that have been like the project, so to speak, are guys that were never going to play in the NBA, probably. Um, and, and, you know, like were guys that they were like, well, we'll teach them how to play the pack line and they'll be good and and eventually contribute. And it's like a lot of times those guys just wash out, especially like what Dave said, like nowadays, you know, you can't have a bench that's going to, you can't have guys that take four years to develop into good players because that's just not going to work out. And you honestly probably don't even want those guys anymore. Like, like you, those guys are going to get passed up. They're just going to be on scholarship on your bench because you're going to recruit over them in the portal. Um, And so like, I think it's a, a combination of factors uh, but ultimately, I think the way they get back to being what they were is to get guys that are like top 100 level players. Again, I'm not asking them to go out and get five stars because they're not going to do that. And they never have the guys that they won with were top 100 players like Brogdon, Anderson, uh, even like like the championship team. You had the guy, the big three, but like you supplemented them with Braxton Key, who was number 60 in the rivals rankings and a four star Mamadi Diakite. Like it's not always going to be that good, but if you have the talent, they can be really, really good. Tony, I, and this is, I think, my thesis on this entire thing. I think people kind of have it flipped. I think Tony gets way more out of what he has than most coaches would. That's what makes him so good. He takes a roster that is what it is this year and makes them good, but he's taking them to the ceiling. They're not underachieving. Like, He's like losing in the first round for UVA. They overachieved in the regular season to be a four seed. And then they get to the tournament and they're just as good as the 13 seed. And the 13 seed also needs to win to advance. And they know how to win because they won their conference and they have some dudes. And all of a sudden you're in a game like those teams are scarier than a lot of the teams in the ACC that aren't very good. So I think like he's dragging them up as high as he can, but he can only go as high as the talent will allow him to go. And that's why I think like his job is going to be over the next couple of years. And the good news is I think the freshman class has a lot of talent and has NBA level players in it. So I think if you build around those guys and then supplement with portal guys, then you can do something. I think yeah, I that... want to give Dave, I want to give you credit for this because Dave said something I guess that was it. That's it. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
you know, he's talking about sort of the, the idea with redshirting. And one of the things that has changed, that has, it is changing, has changed the calculus on redshirting is the portal. Because it used to be, you know, the guys Ferber's just talking about, you know, you, the guys you supplement with, right? That used to be younger versions of the dudes who would eventually, right, be the guys who you would supplement the roster around, right? Because those dudes were young and had redshirted or were, you know, not getting minutes as, you know, redshirt freshmen or whatever. But by the time they were juniors and seniors, you know, they were the ones kind of carrying the program. And then other young guys are sort of supplementing them, right? But the portal changes that because the days that you're going to have with these kids is, is as limited as it's ever been, right? And here's the reality, right? The reality is, and as I have said to, to, to the fellows, like, what you want is what happened in 2019, right? That's the that's even if that's not necessarily sustainable in the moment. What you would love to have is a program where like you win national championships and dudes go pro, right? And I'm not saying that Virginia needs to be a one and done, but like the idea that you can have talent that can win a bunch of games and then those guys leave and then you have other guys who you bring in have them there for a couple of years and then they win a championship and leave. Like that's, that's what you, I mean, that's ultimately what you want, right? You want to have players so good that they, they can make money professionally. Trey Murphy. Yeah. And you can like, look at the, the last few years and you can, you can draw a line between the reasons that, you know, the seasons where they struggled and the reasons why, which was, you know, roster stuff, right? The big three left, the roster wasn't ready for it. Uh, they got Hauser for one year and Trey Murphy for one year instead of two when they thought they were going to get more than more than just a one out of him, right? That you know that that would have obviously been <laughs> been a big boost, right? If Trey Murphy had hung or had been there for a year, a second year. My bigger problem though is the idea that like anybody thought that that kid wasn't a pro and that you needed to maximize the time you've got with him. Um, and so I, I want to take it back to what Dave's basically the point about the portal kind of essentially changing the development model because whereas you had younger guys who you might redshirt before, now you're going to have, you're going to be able to go and bring in some experience to sort of build around the guys who are your core guys that you've invested in. And I, I mean, I, I think that that should change the calculus on, on redshirting players going forward. Because ultimately, if you redshirt a guy, really all you're doing uh, in this day and age is you're, and it used to be you were trading the guy's worst year for his best. But the reality is that kid's probably not getting to four years anyway, either because he's good enough where he can go make money or he's somewhere else. And that's just a, you know, that's just a by and large. If you look at the roster, how many, you know, how many kids have left over the last few years? It's a lot of dudes that have left. So Dave, I want to give you the opportunity to sort of um, take this thing. You can take it wherever you want, but definitely to, to kind of talk about sort of that that red shirting versus uh, transfer portal piece. Yeah, I mean, I think my point of it was, you know, back then it wasn't an option for transfers, right? Like they right. had to sit out, right? Um, so, but even the guys who didn't, you know, who weren't transfers, who you red red shirted, if you could get them to buy into that red shirt year, even if they had second thoughts, you know, three quarters of the way through the season or whatever, um. For them to leave, it meant they had to sit out a year somewhere else, which meant one of their four years of eligibility is now gone. You know, short of getting short of giving short of getting a waiver, which, you know, even though it's, you know, as of the you know the last year or so before the portal, they seem to just be giving out waivers to everyone. 
you know, see Trey Braxton Murphy. Braxton Key got one. Um, Braxton Key <laughs> got one for the championship season. Yeah, that you know, that team had two of those dudes. Um, so, you know, it, it's just different. You know, it wasn't – I think we forget it wasn't that common to see waivers prior to that. You know, Austin Nichols set out a year. Other people did too. Um, and then, you know, look, I, I understand why it exists. You know, if you're – if you <laughs> – Tony Bennett's won a lot of games um, at UVA, Washington State, everywhere. Places that hadn't seen success in a very long time. And, and Washington State's sense hasn't seen as much since. Um, so he, he knows what he's doing. Now, I think like everyone in a changing environment, you know, with whatever business you're in, he's just got to figure out how to not change what his principles are because that's what makes his program, right? That's the pillars it's built on. He talks all the time about losing with the guys before you're winning with them, before you win with them. Um, and even, you know, when Virginia's got a more stacked roster and doesn't need to add immediate help, Tony's not one to rush in and recruit someone real quick, right? Like he's got, he's, he has a long courting process when possible. Um, you know, and that's, that's probably something that's got to be adjusted just because that's not the way it works now. Um, so look, I trust the man, like, you know, I think it's easy to kind of dump on things when, you know, Virginia's had a couple of first round exits the last two tournaments they've been in and the, you know, and the NIT in between, but look, the, the pillars work, the program works, it's there. Um, I just think it comes down to simply, you've got to hit and you've got to have guys develop to what you thought they were. You know, we look back on that 16 class as like, that was a surefire. These guys are going to win a championship class. Do y'all remember what Todd Jerome and Kyle guy looked like when they got here? You didn't look see those guys and think, oh yeah, those are the dudes, right? Yeah, you know they developed. You know they it had was a really traits, good like class, but we didn't. I mean, there was no way to know it was going to be any better than the one before it. You know, it was, yeah, I mean, Todd Jerome's coming off hip surgery. Yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> I, I, but, but like those kids. Those kids but it wasn't knew. Zion, you know. No, they I know Zion that's fair. Weird. I just, I just think. Yeah, that, it wasn't like, that, like if this class doesn't win at all, they screwed up. <laughs> like, yeah, like if you true. saw when I, you saw Todd Jerome, I know you saw Todd Jerome and, and Kyle Guy at oh, top the NBA camp or whatever. Yeah, and they were lighting it up. But you know, just from a physical perspective, those guys didn't scream sure things. They needed development, and they got it. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the difference way, that like, was is that like, yeah, it is the the difference was one they talked about winning in a championship. Two. Yeah, if you looked at them in a picture, maybe they didn't. But if you saw them on the floor, you're like, these dudes are dirty. Like they, they're filthy. Like they're gonna yeah. play. Like they're ballers. And I think that was some, that was the thing about Ty. Like if you watch Ty, even before he like look like looked like a like a, he was gonna be a dude. Like if you watch his game, he made people look silly. And Kyle, I mean, he might have been scrawny, but that kid could just shoot the ball. And when you put them with 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 Dre and with Jay and when Mamadi was still in that class, I mean it, it. I mean, listen, pound for pound, I have never been more impressed with a recruit that I've seen in person than I was the first time I saw Mamadi Akite. Okay, like I will never forget seeing him at that camp and being like, "Who? What? What planet did this dude fall from?" Because like I had not seen a dude with his size, with that frame, be able to like move the way that that kid can move. They have not brought in a guy like that since that class. Like they've brought in some really talented players and guys, that, but like I'm talking about, like even in that group where they weren't super athletic at other spots, they were very athletic otherwise, right? And that's kind of the crux of the problem right now, which is like the dudes 
that they've been getting were are you know some of the some of the some of the guys who are highly rated the Reese Beekmans and you know Kate McNeely and stuff like. Edric was rated really high. Yeah, I mean, and, and I remember having people in Carolina tell me that like once some of the you know blue bloods found out about Shedrick and found out UVA already had him, they were super pissed. Like were like legitimately upset because they they were really interested in him and wanted to try to like you know actually get him. And I'm not I'm not talking about like you know Bob's University. I'm talking about like Kentucky, right? Like I'm talking about like places where do you know so like. I think the, and the reason I'm pushing back here is like, yes, there's, there's no doubt that like the outside perception was not like, Hey, this 16 class better win a national championship or this thing's never happening. But that group from the start was crazy talented. One of the top classes in the country. So I think it's very fair to say that people did have high expectations for them. Um, now did anybody yeah, think they were realistic? Maybe not, but they yeah. definitely had high expectations. But even with their what what their individual ceilings were, like every guy in that four man class, Jay Huff, I guess you could debate, but the other three like reached their ceiling in college. You know, so that's that's a huge hit rate. It's not like one was almost where you thought he could be, the other one was great. Um, they all three hit, you know. Whereas, you know, Reese, I think, would probably be the biggest hit of the high rated recruits recently. You know, if Caden was at the ceiling he you know, that you would expect from a sixty three. Yeah. We're probably talking about. Players. Well, he's also has the athletic profile that I'm talking about. Like he yeah. is an NBA caliber athlete. Athlete, yeah. Is he gonna? I mean, does that that doesn't mean he's gonna put it all together? But at least you have a chance. Like, and I'm not again not personal, but like, what's the <laughs> ceiling for Justin McCoy? Yeah, you yeah. saw it. Like, I mean, like that, and that's a guy that like Carolina also wanted. So I'm not saying like Tony's, I think a lot of people are like, Tony just takes these projects that have no chance. And it's like, I think there's some of that, but I think there's like not as much of that as people probably think. Um, my yeah. problem with this year is y'all know what my problem with this, was with this year. I, I, I don't like BVP adding them to the roster made a lot of sense to me. And I, I don't want this to sound like revisionist history. These guys will tell you I've been on this. I've been <laughs> barking it up this tree all year. I just what I thought he could do for this roster it wasn't how he was used all year. And I think he stunted growth for the players who we could have it a you know, who might be a step ahead of where they are heading into this offseason if he didn't play the role he did. Um that's what frustrates me the most about this year. And that's weird because yeah, that's a yeah. transfer, you know. Yeah. I think and, too, like you just kind of nailed it, which is like, and there, there's no way to know before the season because you have injuries and people just, like you said, they, the 2018 team was better than people thought it was going to be. Obviously, they lost to UBC, but they were way better in the regular season than people thought they were going to be. You never really know. But the thing is, like, did like this time last year, we weren't talking about like, well, next year you guys are going to find out when this team goes on a run to win the national title. Like, we were like, they'll be better than they were in 2022, right? right. But like, not great if they have the same team. And they went out and added BVP. I, I you know, I liked VB, BVP. We did also, I remember having conversations when they were looking at him, like, how does he fit with the team? Like the right. roster they have. Yeah. And and it was like, okay, but he's a good, he's a good basketball player. So that's a plus addition. But at the same time, like, what's the, you have to, and again, I'm not, Tony knows what he's doing, <laughs> but like you weigh the trade off of like, is adding BVP going to give us something that like get us to a place where we couldn't go. So like, are you taking like a Sweet Sixteen team and making them a Final Four team? Because if not, then was it really worth it to like play him over guys like Trout, like to get him over guys like Trout? Yeah, and, and just play them, you know? Because and it's I, like 
what do you what what's the trade off there? Like you're basically turning a team that's gonna win twenty two games into a team that's gonna win like twenty three or twenty four games. Like yeah, yeah. Know? And I think the the other little tweak I think Tony can make is I feel like when we talk red shirt versus not red shirting, we're like oh it's it's a year development without playing or no development, right? Like that's not the case. You develop you know? when you play sparingly too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean. And who knows what happens in the middle of the year? You know, BVP, I think, I think Tony, what the, Tony thought BVP was going to be was a Sam Hauser like role, mm-hmm. right? He was going to make enough threes to keep the lane clear for Beekman and Franklin and, and Kihei to have dribble drive opportunities. Yeah. And they and, needed um, as much shooting as they could get after last, after yeah. the 2022 season. I but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a, he was a streaky shooter at best. Um, so Dude, it, it you called this up. out when they were looking at him, though. You were like, yeah. "Look at his numbers. He's not like a lights out shooter." Like, yeah. And you were Still like, "Maybe BVP. they'd be better off if they play him more <laughs> as a big." You know, yeah. Like, as another just, four, and then don't forget the Jaden Gardner piece, which you know, right, which is how's he fit with him? But like, I mean, maybe it's Tony trying to do best by these kids by not using a year of eligibility, and and that seems to be mm-hmm. the case with Trout, right? Like he said, "Hey, you know, they had their meeting." I don't know if you're going to play a lot, especially with Jaden and Caden and, um, you know, and, and uh, Cafro and everyone else back. You might not play a lot this year. You know, do you want to use a year of eligibility for that? And so, I mean, I understand why you want, I don't think Tony, if, if Trout has said, no, I'd like to play when you can, I don't think Tony would have said no. Right. Yeah, exactly. That'd be but stupid. I think Tony needs to flip it and just understand that. Hey, don't offer them the red shirt anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to, now I know they do a little bit different stuff with Mike Curtis when they're in a redshirt year, but look, I mean, it, Tony's a smart guy. You look at a guy like Isaac Trout, you have to understand a guy with that size. If he's he's the player you think he is, he's not playing for four years, like Brad yeah. said earlier. And 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 I mean, to some extent, I think Bond gets a little bit lost in this conversation. I mean, I think Bond has, you know, he has some more parts of his game that really sort of need to sort of um, blossom a little bit. But like, all you needed to do was stand on the baseline and watch pregame warmups, And you could easily see that Trout and Bond, you know what, they could help this team. Now, would they cut into some minutes and there'd be some tough decisions? Absolutely. But, like, Bond is one of the freakiest athletes I've seen. Like, hands down. I mean, people are so excited about Ryan Dunn. And trust me, I have been driving the Ryan Dunn um, bandwagon, as these fellas will 100% vouch for. Um, But, like... Bond is a whole other thing. And Bond is the type of player, today's point earlier, like to defend two to five. Like to have a guy that can shut somebody's water off. They just haven't had that dude. And I think one of the things that's frustrating if you think about like you think about that 2019 team, a lot of the a lot of what was really sort of the foundation that was laid that went into 2018 was the fact that Kyle and Ty played a lot as freshmen. Right. Do y'all remember there was like this period of time there where like they weren't playing much and then clearly yeah, like at Kyle some was point playing more and, and yeah, Ty and, was kind and, of you, not, and at yeah. some point Tony decided, you know what, I'm just gonna live with whatever defensive issues they have and I'm just gonna let them figure it out. And he sort of did something similar with Ryan Dunn this year, right? Toward the latter part of the season where he's like, you know what, he's just gonna get some minutes. Now, granted, some of that was out of um necessity, right? But I think that one of the things you've seen is that when they when they play the freshman early, it helps them later on. And 
I understand that the model is such that, you know, usually you've got juniors and seniors. You're trading a lot of the times you're trading your 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 worst year for your best because even if you're not redshirting, those freshmen, they're spending that time on the scout team. They're spending that time, you know, doing extra stuff with Mike Curtis. And so they know they're not going to get as much of a uh, of a workload, so to speak, right? But if you go if you if you go through this thought exercise and you think about like, well, shouldn't you have players each year that you bring in that make you better? Not to like bring in a Bronco thing, but like Bronco's whole thing is like every class should be better than the last class. Now basketball is different because the numbers are limited, but like shouldn't every year you bring in dudes that you can't wait to play because like they're good? And like I understand on some level that not everybody can be, you know, uber talented and they're just, you know, brimming with fives. I'm not, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like every time you go recruit, you have a need. And hopefully you're finding kids that meet that need. Well, if you have that need, then shouldn't you have that need later when they're actually on grounds and you can play them in basketball games? Like I I just, I, I think that one of the things that has to evolve, maybe not necessarily change, but at least iterate is the type of talent that you bring in should be talent that can help you. And there shouldn't necessarily need to be a clock on that. I understand if you're in a situation like where Bond is a crazy good athlete, but you're you're working with him in a variety of different ways. You know, like the idea of like maybe not offering guys, like maybe if a guy comes to you and says, hey coach, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe a red shirt would be really beneficial to me. You, but like, I think one of the things that people don't understand is how like lonely that experience is for players because these kids have played back, like they've played forever, right? And suddenly they're just going through all, they get none of the, like the pieces of playing the sport that are good. They get all the parts that are bad. They get all the, the travel headaches and they get the pressures for school and they get the pressures, you know, they got to go to practice and they got to work. And then they don't get to see any improvement in games. They don't get, actually get to go out there and be a part of it. They feel secondary, right? They feel separated from it. And there's Especially a reason Especially when why, the team isn't like winning a national championship right. good. It's like There's a reason oh, man, why a lot of these kids there. that go through the redshirt year do it in pairs because you're trying to make sure that they don't have that they don't feel super alone, right? A lot of times you're trying to have more than one guy at once. And I think coaches will tell you that straight up like, yeah, we definitely do that on purpose. But beyond the redshirting piece of it, which I know is a lightning rod for a lot of people, I think it really just comes down to talent acquisition, right? Being able to put good players on the floor who are surrounded by other good players. And I think the type of player, like Virginia's not as long as the Cavaliers used to be, right? They're certainly not as athletic as they, they used to be. They don't shoot the ball as well, which is They a don't shoot problem. the ball as well as they used to. And some of that comes down to some of the recruiting classes that they put together in a row. I'm not saying that every recruiting class to, to follow that Bronco model, that every recruiting class is definitely going to be better than the one before. But you can't have, especially in a program like this, you can't have several in a row where dudes just don't pan out. And I'm, I'm willing to give the staff, because of their bona fides, because of what they've shown, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on guys, right? Ultimately, for, but, you know, I think Ferber said this, for every Kihei Clark, there's like five Justin McCoys, right? And... You know, yeah, for several years, they got really international, right? They they started bringing in dudes that, like, you just could not really get a good feel for um, because they yeah, just had like to play Yeah, there's like two minutes lot. of YouTube video out there on them. Right. And it's like, okay, hope, hope this, there's more than this out there. And it's, a, and it's a lot easier to do that with Jack Salt when you're surrounding him with, you know, four, you know, high four-star, top 50, 
top 75 type players, right? And he and he meets a specific need. Yeah. Then it and they is ask to, him to do a very simple thing. Yep. Which is like just screen and catch the ball when it comes just off. Be the rim. physical as hell. You don't have to do you know? anything else. Like we're not and, asking you to score. We're not asking you to do anything else. <laughs> and Dave's point about Gardner and, and and BVP is so well taken. Like, man, like, like Gardner and BVP under no circumstances would you would you peg those two guys and if you were if you were trying to build a team, would you want two dudes who were undersized for their position, right? You know, granted, like, okay, they list Ben Vanderplas as 6'8". Does anybody really think he's 6'8"? I don't know. I mean, no. I, but, but the bottom line Undersized is, like... and not super athletic. Right, like, and that's... You know, and not again, a 6'7", I'm not, jump out of the and gym. And UVA's already right. got enough of that. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> trying to bang on anybody specifically, right? And, and, I, and I'm, I think we're doing a really nice job here of being sort of matter-of-fact about the program without being, like, objectively, like, mean, right? And, I mean, I look... Full disclosure, none of us could make a three-pointer in front of 15,000 people, so whatever. But, like, if 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 the point is to win national championships, you can't have undersized guys. You, Virginia has, you know, built a whole program on having longer athletic dudes who play a defense that really benefits from having longer athletic dudes who can play multiple positions, who can cover for each other, who can scrap, who can move, right? They have made a program out of finding guys who could shoot, guys who had offensive you know even if they weren't even if they were playing half court stuff they could still play the game right they didn't necessarily need to get up and down because they didn't necessarily need the easy buckets the last few years like there's been a lot more talk about speeding things up simply because like some of these offenses have desperately needed as many easy buckets as they could get right and i mean pace of play you look at that 18 you look at that 18 team right you look at that 19 team like they didn't necessarily need to run and gun Right. And I'm not they saying didn't. that <laughs> I'm not saying that everybody needs to be 31 and three. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, on some level, like if you've if if you've been to the mountaintop and you know the way to get there, you got to start doing things that make that look a lot like that. And I, I understand that, you know, Kyle guys and Ty Jerome's and DeAndre Hunters don't grow on trees, but there are a lot of really talented players who kind of fit the sort of profile that those guys gave you. And you could pair with, you know, other talented players. Um, the thing that, that astonishes me about sort of where, you know, Virginia's been in this phase is that they've continued to try to do the same thing, it feels like. And that thing that they, it's almost like the jerseys, right? Immediately after they win a national championship, they change the jerseys and everybody's <laughs> like, wait, what? It's like you, you won a national title doing it one way in, in some respects, right? And now just like you look at the recruiting classes and sort of like the way things are paired together, like it's not necessarily like it doesn't feel to me like it's following the same blueprint in terms of the type of players you're getting, what you're asking them to do, the way they fit together. And I don't know, man, that that's that's really hard for me to square. Yeah, though, I will say this freshman group that they have now does kind of feel like which it does and that's a good okay. Like you put together a class of guys that that's a really good point. They can shoot a little better. You know, there's some defensive upside. You know, they're not expected to come in and, and be one and dones, but at the same time, there's some potential or there's some expectation here that this group's going to become something. Um, and Ryan Dunn, I think, overachieved. Yeah, like, I mean, agreed. I think he's got a lot of work to do on the offensive end to be really, really good. Um, but I think like he did more than I thought he would coming into the season. Right. Um, and McNeely was pretty much as advertised, I thought. You know, yeah. so like I think there, there's and I like Gertrude and I like Buchanan. Doesn't mean they're going to work out, 
but I'm not going to sit here in five years and be like, why'd they take these guys? Same with Marcel <laughs> and Jabri. Like, I don't think that that's fair. Um, yeah. But I think it's one of those things where it's like, you, if you give Tony the right ingredients, he's going to make you an amazing meal. If you give him crappy ingredients or ingredients that aren't at the level, and I'm not saying they've had crappy ingredients, right. but you know what I mean. He's going to give you the best he can, which is better than, like I said, you're in still going to eat. Yeah, they're still yeah. going to eat. And it's like, you know, I, I said in the piece, like Tony has already proven that he can win a lot of games and be like, not just win a lot of games, but like be like top five, 10 in efficiency in the country. So like legitimately good and win ACC titles with top 100 players, which he should be able to get as a national championship winning coach at an ACC school. Um, and a lot of other coaches can't do that. Like look at Kentucky. Like they really have struggled because like they just haven't put the right guys in position and they're kind of just like, there's some weird stuff going on there, I think. But like, that's an example of like, not everybody could take a, even like the guy Jerome Hunter roster and win a national championship. I think a lot of coaches could, but like, you know, I don't, I don't think he's like worse off than a lot of others, but you also have to remember like, you know, and I'm not trying to like say Tony's doing a bad job, but like talent acquisition is a huge part of his job. It's a big part of what he gets paid for. So it should be part of the evaluation. And I think, you know, we look at all of the stuff that he's doing. And obviously, like, I know there's a lot of reasons that UVA is not going to get, you know, the Zions. Like, I'm not expecting them to. But I do expect them to get the Kyle guys and the Ty Jeromes and the DeAndre Hunters. And I think if they do that, they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah. Can, yeah, just in Tony's defense, because I do think this is not to say anything we've said is wrong. Um, And I know it was mentioned in the articles and we mentioned it before, but – Overall, I think he's done a pretty good job of talent acquisition. You know, he had three do you know, how many total guys left off the obviously Kyle, Ty, and Dre all left early, right? Kind of caught with your pants down there. You're not gonna do too much. But he Yeah, the next year you can't really blame him for that. I mean, he's just trying to put the pieces together. And he put enough pieces together and that team got better. I'm not saying they would have made a run in the tournament, but you know, that defense was elite. Yeah, Yeah, that defense was elite. Um, and then during that season, he put together a class to make the following year much better. You know, he brought in Sam Hauser, got Trey Murphy. Um, and then that team that we never got to see play in person, that team was like kind of. They were the best post title team, I think. Yeah, they were. And, and they weren't able to practice like Tony practices because of COVID restrictions. So they never achieved where they could have been defensively. And obviously they had the big COVID thing leading mm-hmm. into the tournament. I will say, um, like, if you look at the tenets of what I was talking about, like the pro yeah. players, that's the team that kind of got away. And I don't really blame him so much for what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one slip up was, you know, going into last year, you know, the class that came into last year. And he kind of made him, you know, fix that with the refreshment class that we saw this year, mm-hmm. except two of them didn't see the floor and one of you know, and we'll see we, what we know what the rumors are. One of them might not ever see the floor. Right. So that makes not, it tough. At least not one, at least not one in Charlottesville. And there's a, unless there's a home and home set up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes it tough. And that, you know, it, I think for Virginia fans, if you had told us, Hey, you're going to have, you know, your regular season, you did and, and you lose to a 13, a 13 seed and kind of heartbreaking fashion, but trout and bond and Don and McNeely got playing time all year. I think we'd feel better than we do yeah, right now. That's fair. Real quick. I want to, I want to touch on something. So that 16 class, we all talk about that 16 class, right? I, and, and, and a lot of us, myself included have said, you know, well, look, they lost three guys to the, to the, to foregoing their, 
their eligibility to go pro, right? The problem with that thinking, include, and I'm including myself in that, in 2015, Virginia had a one-player class, technically speaking. Uh, they had Mamadi Diakite, but we all know he was a 16 recruit that just came early. All right. In in 15, they had one recruit, and that was Jared Reuter, right? In 17, they had Badoki and, and Marco Anthony. And in 18, they brought in Cafaro, uh, Kihei Clark, and Cody Stabman. No, they brought in Cafaro, and then he became Cafaro later. Sorry. Let he me, was the, still Cafaro in this correct. timeline. Correct. So in this timeline. So, all right. So what I just did was I named uh, six dudes. All right. I'm taking Mamadi out. I'm only including Reuter from, from 15. All right. Reuter, Badoki, Anthony, Cafaro, uh, Clark, Stabman. All right. If you want to get into the nuts and bolts of what happened after the 2016 kids left, there's your answer. Yeah. That's right? all it is. Yeah. That's all it exactly. is. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's your answer. And, and like, again, no shade in anybody, but like, you know, one of those kids is from, uh, Aust- uh, is from Queensland. One of those kids is from Argentina. Now I understand that like, you know, varying degrees. You didn't of have, the, you didn't have the town on that you know, one. Um, no, well, was he funny, Buenos Aires? The, the, da- the database is a little bit weird. Uh, Badoki yeah. is listed as being from Kansas, but he's not right. So I'm, I, I'm not like banging on foreign players. I'm just saying that like, if you look at what happened after those dudes left, the issue was right there. It happened before they signed the 16 class, while the 16 class was mm-hmm. on grounds, and then even again happened once they won the championship, right? So in the class of 2019, what did they do, right? They got Marcel, right? They and got Marcel and Shedrick, Justin McCoy, Wolda Tensai. Now, that's supposed to be a good class. You got two fours. You got a solid three who had a Carolina offer. You know, the Wolditons I was coming in as a junior college transfer. Okay, that's not bad. Okay, yeah, okay. And that was but, a desperate, like, and he's not to say he's terrible, but, like, that was a desperate, like, hey, we just lost our whole team to right. the NBA. So, like, right. we need to add someone, anyone that can shoot. And then in, in 20, you've got uh, Abdul Rahim, which we all know was a was a massive bust for them. Beekman, who is, you know, thank gosh, you know, he's been exactly what you needed him to be because, man, where would they be without him? And they had McCorkle. So, like, you can look at these recruiting classes and you can say, like, man, like, these things are fine as long as you've got these other really good dudes. But once those other good dudes left, I mean, the cupboard all of a sudden started looking, you know, very different in a hurry, right? I mean, hell, in that 21 class, all they did was sign Tane Murray. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, no shade at anybody, but, like, if you want to win national championships – all of these dudes I'm mentioning, this was all they signed, right? At, outside of Beekman, this was it, right? And almost all these dudes either left to go somewhere else or stayed because they didn't have a lot of options probably. And I'm not, again, not trying to be harsh, but like that's just probably the reality of it. And I think that if you're talking about what you can do to put the thing back where it is, you sign a class like 22 where you've got Dunn and Trout and Bond and McNeely and you invest in them with minutes and opportunity. You do what they did in 23 so far with Gertrude and Buchanan. Like Gertrude is an incre- is the exact type of player Virginia needs, right? Super athletic, can play, um, you know, can really bring a lot to the position in that sort of Justin Anderson role, right? Buchanan is a, is a, is a big who, who feels like you could actually, like he could score around the rim. Um, a guy who was some fluidity to him, you know, I mean, when's the, you know, seriously. So it's, I, 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 listen, I, I know we're, we're really getting in the weeds on it, but like, if they want to be better, it, it comes down to the players that can play the game. Granted, none of the names I just listed off include transfers, which means they, they, they're not getting credit there for Hauser, for Murphy, for BVP. Um, 
Braxton Key. Yeah, Braxton Key. Like, and I, and again, I'm not saying that like traditional recruiting is the only way they can stock the pond. I'm just saying that like if if Harris. you stock the pond with dudes who are not great, your teams probably aren't going to be great either. It doesn't matter what you do. And I feel like that's kind of where it is right now, you know? And yeah, yeah. they've they've got what's what's weird is is they've they did this before, right? When remember when they signed the 16 class, you know, a lot of people at the time were like, "Oh, you know, this is this is, you know, they're going to struggle, you know, like cuz you know, they come off that um you know, that ACC championship, you know, in 14 and then in 15, Well, the 2017 season was the bridge correct between like yeah. kind of mini runs. And that 2017 season, what did they do? Yeah. They brought in Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, and they played them. Yep, they played them. And, and DeAndre Even, Hunter didn't play, but but that team like wasn't that great. And the reason they played was because that team wasn't that great, I think, more so than anything else. And they didn't win. I mean, that, that team was equivalent to what this year's team was, I think. And, yeah. and they... You know they were better off for it the following year. I think also one like other point I wanted to make is like we talk a lot about the 2016 class. We need to also look at the classes before that, and it's like mm, fair, yeah. The team, the first, the first teams that were good under Tony, you had senior Joe Harris, senior Akil Mitchell, two guys that were like not highly rated guys, but what they, what can they do? Akil Mitchell, super freak athlete who can move, vertical quickness, horizontal quickness, he could do it. Uh, Joe Harris can shoot the hell out of the ball and obviously became a very good player, but he played real early, you know, because mm -hmm. he could do some stuff. Then you added Malcolm Brogdon who had some injuries, but he's a top 100 guy, obviously very good player. Um, Justin Anderson was on that team as a sixth man, you know, Mike Toby was coming along and then you supplemented with Anthony Gill, who was a good transfer. Right. So like, I think that kind of is my lesson too, is like, and I don't blame Tony for like building through the portal when he's had to, because sometimes he's just frankly had to like for that, for the Franklin Gardner combo. I mean, like they had to, they had, you know, when Murphy went pro, they desperately needed to go backfill those spots in part because all those other dudes left too, because it wasn't working out like Marcel and more and McCoy and none of those guys were panning out. So they left and Jabri leaves. So then you have to go out and, and like, make your team around portal guys. And I think the lesson is from just what I've seen at UVA, I think because of the pack line learning curve and also just like the quality of players you're going to get out of the portal versus like developmental, like four-star type players that you can get in recruiting. You want to supplement your roster with the portal and not like build through the portal unless you're getting like Oscar Sheepway. Um, because, you know, you don't want to have those guys be like, oh, we're going to bring these guys in to be the offense. It's like, no, you want to bring them in for specific things and to help. Like Braxton Key, like Anthony Gill, like a lot of other guys that have been successful. I think if you go out and try to build your whole team out of transfers, like you go to the NIT. Yeah, and I, and I feel like if you look at sort of like, all right, so if you if you go 2010, that's the, the Mitchell-Harris uh, class. What's wild is that that class they was missed huge, on four dudes and they missed whatever. on a bunch of dudes yeah. in that class too. Right. And then if you and go that's to okay, cause that's like new coach, you know, stuff that happens. Like but then you go to 11 and 12 and that's when you get to Darion and to Malcolm and you get to um, Justin Anderson and Evan Nolte and Mike Toby. And like the backbone of that ACC championship run that put them on the map 
are those two classes. Granted, Akil and Joe are huge. Don't get me wrong. But like, if you don't have the other pieces around, you know what I'm saying? Like they can't go anywhere. Right. Um, but then, you know, it, it's just, it's just a, it's like, it's like content for websites, right? You, you have to constantly recruit. Like you have to continue to feed the beast. And yeah, are we, we talked, we mentioned this earlier. I think it was Dave who was talking about like, you know, you, if you miss on a few guys, when you run a program like Virginia has, it's going to put you in a real bind. You know, it's, it's, it's very, like I said, it's very similar to like when you have to be efficient when you, because you limit possessions. Well, you know what? You better not miss any shots. You know, you better be, you better be making the ball, making the ball go in the basket. Cause otherwise you ain't going to score. You got to, um, you got to find guys that fit what you do. That's, that's just the way it is. Right? right. Carolina has a roster full of talent and they were crap this year. You know, fair, very fair. Um, so it's to me like I, I don't want to keep that guy, We don't know if that coach could make a meal. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's me, a good like, point. Good I, point. I don't want to put all of this year on one guy. That's not my intention. I'm just saying, if BVP was Sam Hauser, this team would have been different. Yeah, no, that's just fair. And, and I think what you're doing there, Dave, is what you're doing is you're kind of you're using that example to sort of prove the point, which is. That this year's team missed one was missing one thing was missing a piece and that piece it, it they thought not it having that piece it pushed all of the other pieces into places where they didn't necessarily fit and in yeah, order and then, for Virginia to be yeah. where they needed to be they needed those pieces to fit better if that makes any sense yeah and you know just because of the way it worked out you know with you know when BVP was hot there in the middle Shedrick lost playing time I think it hurt his confidence when we had to call on him later. Um, you know, you probably stunted Dunn's development a little bit because there weren't as many minutes left available for him early in the year. So little things like, you know, little butterfly effects that, that just happen. Um, if you if your goal is to be a national champion with uh, without having billions of NIL dollars, you've almost got to be perfect in your roster construction. Yeah. I mean, the margin for error is a lot smaller in fairness. It really is. I mean... And it's easy. I feel like I, the one thing that kind of makes me feel bad is I feel like sometimes what I'm doing is like Monday morning quarterbacking these things. Like after we know that they didn't work, you know, it's like, well, clearly they should have done something different. It's like, well, easy to say now, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, with the, the team they, and, and also like, you know, you, you mentioned the BVP thing, like, I think too the last two years specifically, the way that, and I'm not saying all you got to do is shoot threes to win, but like, the way that they're getting their points these last few years is like odd, like, you know, like where they're getting their scoring from. And I don't know that like the way that they've played on the offensive end is like super sustainable. And I don't think they would try to replicate that. You know what I mean? It's just Gardner. It's like such a one-off type player that like, right. He's not big enough to like really like beat people up in the post so much, but he he's, so he's like kind of relying on like, but he's got a nice touch. So like he can make six footers, um eight footers ten footers and it's like that and then you have a, a a really diminutive like small guard who's like driving in the lane trying to do stuff and you don't really play through your bigs but you're also like you have a lot of guards who are like providing a lot of offense but none of them are really great shooters so it's like a, a weird except for maybe mcneely who would play that much so it's like I don't know that that's how I would choose to try to like build out a team. Like where are we going to get our points from in the future? Um, yeah. I mean, but I feel know, like this was sort of a one-off thing just based on what they had on the roster. The last couple Yeah. Of and it, like, you know, Jaden and BVP busted their butts, won a lot of games for Virginia this mm -hmm. year and Jaden last year. Like that, that's not, 
to question, you know, just, you know, you know like <clears throat> from us, I think he was as advertised pretty much. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely yeah. was yeah. just from an analytic standpoint. When you look at a shot chart, like that Furman game, like, you know, it just makes no sense how many long two point, you know, mid range two point. They had like what one two point or three point attempt in the first half or something yeah. crazy like that. And yeah. look, Jaden was super great with them, right? Like he, you know, he could knock that shot down when Virginia needed it. And if Virginia's defense was elite, that probably would have been enough. Um, yeah. It just wasn't. And some of that's because you know, Jaden's not Momady. You give me Momady with Jaden's jump down, you know that mid-range because that's what he was right that that's a different story so yeah i want to yeah. i want to i want to make one more point and then um maybe we can wrap this thing up so one of the things that kind of came out of the 2018 ncaa tournament losing the umbc and um was and you know you you really didn't I'm have to 40 talk, article is no, that what you're no. gonna say you didn't really have to talk to many people to find to hear this because it seemed to be sort of you know, reverberating through um, throughout JPJ in those weeks and months after was, you know, the lesson that they, they learned from that tournament, the thing that they took away from it was you need more guards. You need a third guard on the floor. And so what they did was they went out and found a kid in Clark who was like the perfect fit for Ty and Kyle. In those three guys, what you had were talented um, you had great offense. You had great shooting, right? You had versatility in terms of being able to handle the ball, right? So you could handle pressure. You could, you know, you could do a variety of different things. In in Clark, you had a bulldog defender, and because you had the other two guards, you could really, um, you know, you could really make a lot out of that. And I think one of the things I hope that they take from this tournament, in in watching other teams, it's the number of dudes I see who can get to the rim. Right. Imagine this season if if Franklin had not at times decided to be really physical and get to the cup, because otherwise their offense is literally just three pointers and Jaden Gardner um, baseline jumpers. Right. They need they need more guys who can who can create off the bounce. Right. The game is changing still in in three pointers are so, you know, they're so ubiquitous now, right? Everybody can shoot. Everybody's playing some version, whether, you know, you know, some, they got some big man who's picking a pot, you know, whatever. But the thing that UVA struggles with is when those shots aren't falling, what do you do? And there's only, but so much, you know, as you learned in the UMBC game, right? There's only, but so much you can do coming off screens, right? When shots aren't falling, you need to have somebody who can go to the rim. And that's the thing in watching the tournament so far that I've really taken from it which is getting guys who can kind of get their, not necessarily just get their own shot. I don't mean just like, you know, bucket getters. I'm talking about like dudes who had the athleticism to essentially even attempt it because what Virginia had this year, you know, outside of Beekman and maybe to some extent, Franklin were just dudes who couldn't do that guys who needed, you know, there was a reason why Virginia had to have so many assists on their, on their made field goals. Right. Because otherwise they would not make the field goals. And you can only, it's almost like, it's like in football, you have to have big plays, right? If you don't have big plays, it makes everything harder because now you got to put together 10, 11, 12 play drives. And there are many opportunities for something to screw up. What I saw from Virginia, what I saw from Virginia offensively this year was a team that needed to have this pass, this pass and that pass go right. 
and there are too many places for dudes to get a hand in there. There's too much. There's too many opportunities for somebody to screw something up, and or to allow the other team to make a play. And so I feel like what Virginia. I really hope the the, the takeaway is is to get guys who can create off the bounce, who can get to the rim with some athleticism, who you know can generate something that's not necessarily just relying on everybody else to be you know on the same page and clicking. Right. What I've seen in this tournament are teams that can. That can, yeah, they can hit threes, but they're also they got multiple guys who can get to the rim, and they don't need a, you know, a, 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 just an absolute symphony to make it happen, right? They don't need this screen and that screen and that screen, and now it's there, right? They can just go and get it, and that's the thing that I think really separates UVA in that respect. Yeah, I mean, you got to have you got to have a four, you got to have a five that can get outside the paint and draw a man, um, and have three guys who can touch paint anytime they want. And Virginia at times this year just did not have that. You know, you're right. I mean, it was Franklin. And then even when Franklin drove, you know, unless you had a different lineup in, you know, if you had Jaden and Caden in, he's just driving into traffic. Um, so it's it, it's a small tweak, but I think it's one that, you know, when Tony goes back and looks at the film from this year, I think you'll see it. Like, he, he's a smart guy. Let's not forget that. All right. Anything else for the good of the order before we wrap up? You guys, no. we all, we all, we, we put it all we'll out there. We fixed all the problems. I have a feeling we'll have a lot of time to talk roster construction for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll, uh, we'll find, we'll find out pretty soon, won't we? So like, I will say this, like, I, I'm just interested to see, like, I'm going to try to remember what we all say here in a year. Last year after the season was over, I remember we got on here and we were kind of talking about like how we thought they would be better in 2023 but we didn't know how much better. And I remember saying I thought they'd be like an eight or a nine seed type team. Definitely not like an NIT team, but not elite. Where do you guys think they are in a year? Oh, I'm not letting, I'm not going first on that. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would expect, you know, top five seed again. I mean, you'd be a fool not to. If they're, they're either going to miss the tournament or be a top five seed, that seems to be the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I kind of think I'll they're going to gonna be, five. I think they're going to be a, slightly better team next year but that really i mean i guess the caveat there is we don't know who's gonna yeah i think that's hard go. to say if you know we don't know yeah. the transfer decisions we don't know like is franklin coming back for another year um the only thing i do know is that i'm really excited about mcneely and ryan dunn um mm -hmm. those two kids showed me a lot this season um i think mcneely is 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 trending exactly the way i hoped he would um and he's he's definitely extended his ceiling to me Dunn, I think, is showing you athleticism that, like we've been talking about, like yeah, there's a reason he flashes every time he's in the game, right? I mean, let's just be, let's just call the spade a spade. The kid is as crazy athletic, and the thing is, is he's not, you know, with all due respect, I don't think he's as athletic as Bond. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about. But yeah, until we know those other pieces of the puzzle, it's it's hard to say, you know, with any degree of um, prognostication. Yeah, once, we'll once we'll put a pen in it and circle back. As, um, as they say in all all we've only uh, got like corporate two. corporate meetings <laughs> that you go to. All right, let's uh let's land this plane. What do you guys think? Uh, if you're somebody out there found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating or review, we appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody out there who's found the pod, you have not given us a look at the website yet. You can check out CavsCorner.com. Literally, there's like nine million words that Ferber wrote in like the last three days. Um, 
and you should you should read them. Um, it's weird to say that like a three thousand word story is an easy read, but you know that's just the that's just the way it worked. Um, it's only for the diehards. <laughs> I want to thank myperfectfranchise.net uh, for their support of the show and of the website. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank all of you out there for supporting the show all season long all of these many years 500 and some odd episodes whatever and of course i want to thank dave and ferber being graciously of their time as always i very much appreciate all they do so for david spence and justin ferber i'm brad franklin publisher of catchcorner.com thanks for coming out see you soon Bye.